You're listening to Simple Ritz Radio, episode number 213. And today we're taking a break from our normal podcast series to bring you a very important message in this time of uncertainty. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. I'm so glad you're here, and I know we're living in the midst of some really uncertain times. And regardless of what this season has brought, I think this information that we're about to talk about today is going to be important moving forward into a new normal, whatever that looks like and whenever that happens. Now, today we're talking about anxiety uncovering what it is and how we can use it to our benefit. That's what I said. Use anxiety to our benefit right now and moving forward without it crippling and paralyzing us, leaving us stuck to live a life that we were never intended. Today, I invited an anxiety expert on. Her name is Allie Dameron, and she is going to talk about the concept of the mind and anxiety and how we can use it to our benefit. And maybe anxiety isn't as bad as we think. We just have to learn to control it instead of letting it control us. Now, Allie, as a certified acupuncturist, she owns a very successful private practice, but she also runs an online business trying to bring awareness to people about their hormones and about their mindset and how they can choose to step into a healthier lifestyle. She is also the host of a successful podcast called The Allie Dameron Show. So you're going to want to check that out after you listen to the show. I will make sure and link up all the information about Allie in the show notes, as well as some additional helpful ideas to give yourself just 10 minutes, 10 minutes to fix those anxiety spirals, to get yourself out of it. Over on the podcast, I talk all about that why you need just 10 minutes to get yourself out of the anxiety spiral, and specifically how to do that. So to find all the information about Allie and more information on this podcast and how to beat anxiety, head on over to SemperitzWellness.com backslash 213. Now, that's going to be it for announcements because I really just want to get to the show because this is what matters right now in this point in history. I hope it helps. Welcome to the show, Allie, again. It's so good to have you back on. And as you're we talking right before we started recording, it's it's like this really weird season for all of us, a really hard, a really heavy season. And I just couldn't keep posting my normal in the midst of this pandemic. And I really just want to walk beside people and help them come through their anxiety, through the fear, through the panic, and really come out on the other side better than, or at least stronger than when we came into the season. And there's no better person to do that than you, Allie. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. So we're going to talk about anxiety first, because I think what's happening or what I see is there's this massive fear pandemic that's happening alongside of this viral pandemic, which probably always go hand in hand, but it's really hard to distinguish from facts and fiction and what is true. And our mind closes all these loops. What are you noticing about anxiety and people? And what are some things that you want to shed light on in this time? Yeah. So I think anxiety has been one of the biggest things, obviously, that a lot of my patients have been coming to me for. And to be honest with you, I'm not immune to it either. Like I've definitely gone throughout my own kind of freakouts at times and have been able to kind of use some tools and walk myself backwards. But, you know, I think the biggest source 
of anxiety for most people actually isn't necessarily getting coronavirus, but it's more our lifestyle around it. So we've now gotten a lot of things taken away from us right now. We're all living a fairly different life than we're used to. And I think a lot of people, like you said, get kind of caught in this trap of like, how long is this going to last? When are we returning to normal? And and I think that was the question even just like a few weeks ago. And now I think people are starting to ask themselves like, well, what actually is this new normal going to look like? Because I think we're starting to realize that maybe we're not going to just be able to give a date and then have everything the next day go back to the exact same way that it was four or three or five weeks ago for many of us. So I really find that is the biggest source of anxiety. And, you know, even for myself, like that's been my own biggest source of anxiety is like figuring out, you know, I had to close my practice. I've been, I'm an acupuncturist. So I had to close my acupuncture practice and, you know, like figuring out, okay, how long do I have to close for? And what do I tell my patients and what do I tell my child's daycare and all of those things. And so I think that's been really the hardest part for a lot of people. Um, and honestly, this is a very simple answer to how to deal with that. I have decided in my brain a couple of weeks ago that I can't even try. The answers just are not there. We have no idea. And there's not one person on this planet that knows. Um, and so when I start to kind of go down those rabbit holes of like, how long was it going to look like? What's our life going to be like? When can I travel again? When can I go to restaurants again? I just have to basically like come back to the present moment and just shut that down and be like, okay, we're doing this today. We're doing this, this hour. We're okay. We're safe. Everyone's healthy. We can manage today. And then I kind of do this same thing the next day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even in the midst of that, we've started to, you know, we're talking about before this started to find joy in the day. At first it was just kind of like fight or flight, like survival. How do you deal with this? What does the schedule look like? How do we do homeschooling? All of those things. But now I feel like we're in week four, the sun's been shining. We've been riding our bikes. We've been walking. We've been sitting in the sunshine, which has, I've never in my life been more grateful for sunshine ever. I know. I mean, it's just like the biggest blessing. I'm like, oh, thank God. Um, so, you know, I think just like, you know, again, staying really present. And I mean, if the day feels overwhelming to you, like that hour and then searching for joy, like mm-hmm. hearing the birds chirp in the morning, seeing the sun going outside, um, I have found a lot of joy actually in watching my kids be kids and not have to go to school, not have to do a lot of activities, not have to, you know, be in the hustle and bustle and just watching their creative little minds work. And my, I have two little boys. So watching them kind of strengthen their bond together, not that they didn't, but it's been really amazing to watch actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really has, like there has been good in the midst of this. I think, I mean, obviously there's a lot of pain and people are really suffering in the sign, but I think you're right. Like it's, it's a perception, right. Of what's going on. And it always is the case, regardless of what's happening around us. It just seems to amplify sometimes Mm -hmm. what's already festering under the surface. But I was even thinking today, like when you were talking about like the uncertainty and how none of us know the outcome, we really are a people who are fixated on the outcome and the outcome is never something we know. And we're almost like trying to close loops and finish stories, but the outcome that we create is not based in fact generally, right? Like, can you talk about what happens in our mind that creates kind of the anxiety spiral? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from a scientific standpoint, like primarily we're wired in a way that our brains are always looking for, looking out for danger for us, looking out for perceived threats, things like that. And so now that they're so for people with anxiety, that tends to be kind of on overdrive a lot. And so there's mm-hmm. lots of perceived threats and dangers, um, whether that's driving or being late or not being perfect or the things we're telling ourselves. But in this situation, there actually really is a perceived danger. And your brain is really the biggest thing that your brain wants to do is to keep us alive. And so a lot of us are kind of just stuck in like that fight or flight. And um when we don't have control or we don't know the outcome, like you said, our brains are constantly trying to make up one. And some people's are, as we've seen, are very um, positive or maybe they're in denial and other people's are very catastrophic in the worst case. And the thing is, like I said, none of us have any idea Mm -hmm. what that is. And I think a lot of us too have had this perception that we're in control of, of everything in our life. And, you know, I've gone through this with myself and I've seen this with a lot of patients that we like to feel in control. And this, this has really threatened that for a lot of us, how out of control we feel we're being forced to close down our businesses and take the kids out of school and stay in our homes and things like that. And so, you know, I think the biggest moral of the story is really learning the fact that we're not in control. We're in control very little and we always have been, mm-hmm. um, but it just seems different this time. And so I think, you know, for those of us who feel that way, this can actually be a really beautiful lesson in learning that we don't have control and learning, you know, to focus on only the small things that we do have control over, like how we respond to situations. Um, so I think the discomfort is definitely there. There's a lot of suffering, but I think if we just can kind of sit with that and ask ourselves, like, how is this for me? What can I learn out of this? A lot, all of every single one of us has something to learn from this. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. And I think sometimes we aren't like the anxiety in itself is not necessarily bad. I always say it's the anxiety about the anxiety that really is the bad anxiety, right? It's like we, we've been told that these feelings aren't good. And so we almost panic that we have those feelings and we don't know how to get ourselves out. But what's your take? I believe that anxiety in itself, is a pretty natural response for any species to have, um, as a protective mechanism, mm-hmm. anxiety. I mean, there's gotta be a difference, right? Between good anxiety and bad anxiety. What's your take on that? So I agree. I think in, you know, in our body, anxiety is part of the human experience. We have it for a reason. It's to keep us safe. Um, and I think, you know, without going so much into brain science, but due to like different traumas and things like that, some people's over the course of their life can get kind of stuck. Like I mentioned in overdrive Mm -hmm. where they're a little bit more anxious. I think some of it has to do with genetics. I think there's a whole bunch of things at play for those people who just identify as being more anxious. Um, but like you said, I mean, it is not the anxiety that's bad. It's the fear of the anxiety mm-hmm. that makes it debilitating. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, when somebody who identifies as being really anxious responds to their anxiety, usually it's in a place of like, what's wrong with me? How do I make this stop? What should I do? Kind of panicky about it. That's really the debilitating part. If you just look at your anxiety and you're like, okay, like for example, in this situation, we're in a global pandemic right now. Why wouldn't I be anxious? Right. You just kind of, you know, 
take a walk, take some breaths, realize that it's okay to be anxious. The anxiety takes it down or that takes the anxiety down even a notch just by accepting it and realizing that it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to discount the pain that anxiety can cause and the fear, but I feel like at the same time, just giving people permission to understand that some level of the anxiety is actually normal and a good thing for humans. Like it's a part of our DNA. And Mm -hmm. while there's a percentage that don't struggle as much as other people, you know, like everyone has a varying level, like you said, it almost is that permission slip to not allow or enable you to be that way. Um, Mm -hmm. but to, to say like on some level, this isn't abnormal and me fixating on the fact that I need to be fixed is actually creating more problem than just settling into who you actually are. It does create a lot more problems. There's actually this book that's called unlearn your anxiety and depression, um, which is like a Bible that I went through when I was going through a lot of anxiety and something that I teach my patients now. And it really does talk about like the neural pathways in your brain that you're creating when like dependent on how you respond to your anxiety and depression. So you respond in a way that's very panicky and you're very preoccupied and scared of it. Your autonomic nervous system is going to give you more of that. Mm. You respond in a way that's more calm and like, okay, this is just anxiety. We're okay. We're safe. Um, you know, it, he gives you a lot of different tips and tricks on how to do it, but um, you actually can unlearn those neural networks in your brain that that do anxiety mm-hmm. that respond that way. So there's so much brain science behind it. It's like one of my biggest passions. But um, yeah, it's amazing how you actually can unlearn your anxiety. Right. And I think we always think like we're stuck with this. Uh-huh. I mean, I get that. Like, right. The more we're negative, the more apt our body is to receive that negative signal. Right. Like we've kind of trained our body in that, in that sense. But I was even doing a Facebook live today and I was just showing people that it takes roughly 10 minutes for our brain to redevelop the scaffolding to support a claim, right. To support an emotion or a thought that we're having. So with that being said, it takes roughly yeah. only 10 minutes to take a negative pattern and make it positive. Can you go into like the brain mm-hmm. science a little bit about like how easily and capable our brain is of morphing into the positive side? Yeah, absolutely. So there's this idea in your brain that's called neuroplasticity. And it basically means that our whole life we're created different like little neural pathways, which are basically like super highways in your brain about how you respond to certain things. And so like, for instance, if you identify as being anxious, you know, generally there's something that created that in you. So maybe it was a trauma as a child and that trauma can be something even just as simple as like being bullied or like your parents calling you, you know, fat or inadequate or or whatever. Um, And so that is kind of developing those pathways and they develop quicker when you're younger. Um, and so through that experience, that's how that's created. But the thing is your brain due to this idea of neuroplasticity or this theory can actually change those. And so if you start responding in a new way to things, which definitely feels like you're using a muscle that's never been used before. So it's not like you can just necessarily like switch and start okay, I'm only going to be positive now and just start believing that it definitely takes some practice and there's some strategies behind that. But once you kind of decide like, Hey, I'm not going to buy into this fear of the anxiety anymore. And you just start to question that over and over your brain starts to be like, okay, we don't have, we're not scared of this anxiety anymore. It's okay. 
um, and starts to create new neural pathways that say we don't need to be anxious anymore. Or when the anxiety comes, it's a normal part of our biology and we're okay with that emotion. Um, so yeah. And I think you can do the same way with like positive psychology. So once you kind of move through this, you can start to respond in a more positive way to things instead of panic and freak out and anxiety and things like that. Yeah. So when I think about this, like even like a practice of gratitude, right. We know is so positive, so healing for the body. It's one of the most overlooked, I think, practices that we have in our toolkit that's completely free. Right. But why? And I even think about this, like I, I think positively, but I just don't, I don't know why I can't stick with it. Or, you know, I, I feel like I'm not alone in this. Like, I know I should be doing this, but I can't like, why are some of these things that are so good, so easy, so difficult to do? I know it's really interesting. I think, you know, I think the brain's wiring, like in that book, he goes through why we tend to focus more on negative things. Like that whole idea of like, you get a hundred positive comments and one negative and you're focusing on the negative one. Um, And it has a lot to do with like our primal response of kind of like that fight or flight, stay alive type of response that you're constantly, we're constantly fixating on things that could threaten us. Um, And so I think it's easier to focus on those things and the things that make us feel better and calmer aren't quite as, I'm trying to think how to say this, like they don't quite get the alarm that the negative things do. Mm. So it's Mm. easier to focus on those things. And I also think there's this idea Um, there's a book that's called the big leap and he talks about this upper limits problem. Have you read that book? I haven't, but I, it's so ironic that you say that because someone literally just told me yesterday to read the book. Oh yeah. It's a really good book. Um, and he basically starts the book with talking about how he was sitting at his office one day and it was just a really good day. He was feeling really grateful and something, you know, good at work had happened. His family was all really healthy and happy. And he was like, Oh my gosh, I'm just feeling so filled up from life right now. So good. And then all of a sudden his brain started to like kind of wander and like find something to worry about. And he was, so he kind of goes through again, like some of the brain science stuff and some of his other, he calls it the upper limits problem. Um, but why our brains, when things get so good, we have to find something bad. We have to pick a fight with somebody. We have to get sick. We have to, um, find something to worry about or find something to be anxious about just because our brain can only handle so much capacity for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really good book too. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes I wonder even in myself has negative or anxiety become a comfort in my life. Like I like the concept of living positively mm-hmm. or, and I see this in other people, like we like the concept, but something keeps us here that's comforting and safe, right? Like maybe we don't want to admit it, but I think on some level people feel really safe with anxiety because I hear this a lot. Like if I'm positive, like I'm just constantly waiting for that shoe to drop or, you know, like I I like to be prepared for worst case scenarios so that I am prepared regardless of what the science shows that either or, right. They experience the same level of pain. It's just the people who are living in negativity experience it for way longer periods of time than someone who's in the positive space. But do you find that there are people who are comforted by the negative? I think so. I think a lot of us feel like 
feeling like I'll give you an example of my own life for, since I was a kid, I've just been identified as like a warrior. Like my parents were like, Oh, you're always like worrying about something. And I was, and it always was just like this thing in my life. And, um, you know, I almost like, I can remember asking literally as a kid, when there was a problem asking my parents, Hey, is this something I need to worry about? Like meaning that was going to be productive. Hmm. And I think a lot of us feel this thought of like, if we worry or feel anxiety about a problem that it's actually productive. And I think it is a coping mechanism and we think it's like a protective mechanism. Mm-hmm. So, and again, a lot of us have gone through hard things. And so maybe we fell off guard when we went through that hard thing. Maybe it was shocking or something, which I think we're going to find with this, this whole pandemic that a lot of us have been in shock. Um, I think and we talk about this too, but I think a lot of us are going through like the five stages of grief with this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think a lot of us feel like we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling so vulnerable when everything's good. And then just the shoe drops and we just are a disaster and fall apart. And even if you have anxiety or worry, like probably that same exact outcome is going to happen. Um, but it's hard. It, it's definitely, again, it's, it's how your brain's wired to stay alive and to be constantly searching around for dangers and scary things and threats and things like that. And so I think for a lot of us, we feel comfort almost in that, like you said. And I also can tell you a lot of people that feel really anxious are really attached to the news in the situation or to scary things because it almost validates the fact that you're anxious. So if you're feeling anxious and then you go check the news and there's something to be anxious about, you're like, okay, I'm not like off my rocker. Like there is something to be anxious about here. And so I think I have a lot of patients who are compulsive news checkers. <laughs> yeah. And I really do think that it's like, it's like validating. And I've personally gone through that too. And I asked a psychologist about that many years ago, like why that was a thing. And, and that's what he told me. And I was like, that is exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fear needs to be validated. It's funny you say that because I was literally thinking, and I said on the Facebook live that I was doing, I was on this total entire tangent to like really believe. And I I think I've read this somewhere. I don't know where the the source is, but because fear, I want to make this clear. Fear is very real, but generally what we're fearing is not. So we've created some kind of story, right? The fear itself is fictional. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we have to constantly search Mm -hmm. for, like you said, things to back it up, things to give it fuel to keep it going. Because as soon as we start to dwindle with a thought that maybe it isn't real, or maybe we've let things go too far, right? That fear wants to remind us, wait, 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 I need power. And so I find that you're right. People go searching for a, something to fuel that fear because they feel it dwindling, right? And we don't even know what to do with that feeling. And f- uh, fear has to have fuel because it's not real. So it can't grow. It can't expand. We have no basis to grow it unless there's something to back it up. Mm-hmm. And I think even why, like, I, I feel like Facebook is so negative right now. Uh, and I feel like people post on there. Like if people are apt to want to get validation for what they're feeling, they'll post on there and yeah. either people will back it up or they'll push an argument, which also validates the fear. Yeah, totally. It's no one coming in. That's really like, I see you right now. I see you're struggling. I want to love you and help you walk through this because I believe better for you. No, Facebook is like the extremes. It's either I'm going to validate that fear or I'm going to say you're crazy, which is only going to make things worse. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Yeah. I've been talking a lot about this idea of like fighting for your peace right now. And I think 
you know, I, I think we always have to a little bit, but in this situation, if you don't fight for the fact that you want some peace in your life, like you're, it's going to consume you because it's everywhere. It's Mm -hmm. all over the news. It's all over social media. We are, you know, unfortunately, anytime you pick up your phone, like people are texting each other about it. It's literally everywhere. And if we don't fight to have something that's positive in our life, step away, have some alone time, have some solitude, go on a nature walk, like those types of things to step away, it will consume you right now. Yeah. How, what, what is the difference between someone, what, what is the bridge? You know, like, I think we all can get to that healthy space or at least what, what looks healthy for us. And I think there's a big distinction between what we've been told is healthy and what, what looks healthy for us, because we all struggle on different levels and we all have past experiences, which come into our health story. I mean, we're, we're working from a lot. Yeah. How do we bridge the gap? What, what's the difference between people who are sitting here wanting to change living in anxiety and fear, unable to get themselves out of it. And the people who've walked the bridge, because I believe we've all had to walk the bridge at some point. Yeah. What's it? What, what is that turning point or where's the bridge? What is that thing? (laughs) So one of the things I think, and this was talked about in unlearn your anxiety and depression too, is we have, so anxiety by definition is like the fear of the future. Right. Mm. And, um, a lot of anxiety happens when we have a lot of other emotions. So we feel anxiety. We can identify with that, but there's also a lot of other emotions underneath the surface that maybe aren't so obvious. So anger, shame, guilt, grief, sadness, all of these other things. And as a society, we've been conditioned, most of us since kids to not show those things. So don't be angry as a kid or stop acting like that when you're lashing out or stop crying or, you know, don't be the crazy woman who cries all the time. Like there's so many different messages that we've received as a society to that those things are wrong and shameful and we shouldn't feel them and all those, those types of things. And so we don't as a society, we don't, we run from them. They're physically uncomfortable to experience. We don't want to sit with them. We tend to compensate with food or alcohol or, you know, even positive things like exercise or Mm -hmm. whatever. We run from those types of things. Um, And so I think one of the most healthy things to do for this is to actually be curious and allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. Like in this situation that we're going through right now, there literally is not a right way to feel. There's every single emotion. And most of us are feeling multiple myriads of emotions right now. And, you know, I think there's always the people on social media that are telling you like how to feel like you have to feel positive vibes only. And we have to find the silver lining. And I do believe that from the bottom of my heart, but I also think that we have to not be afraid of the other things that we're feeling. Like allow yourself to cry, allow yourself to feel angry at situations, allow yourself to feel the shame or embarrassment. If you're feeling that like, Mm -hmm you know, process through those things. And once you do, then you can get to the other side of the bridge that you're talking about and see the silver lining and see the calmness because you've already processed through all the other emotions and all the other crap that you've been dealing with. So I think that's like such a huge thing um, to do on a daily basis. And I've been telling my own patients right now, every single one of us should have a mental health practice right now. Mm. And that can look like a lot of things. It can look like journaling. It can look like before bed, 
taking your brain out of it, but checking in with yourself by feeling what's in your heart or your chest or your throat or your stomach and just not judging it, not trying to change it, but just being like, okay, what's here right now? Am I feeling Mm -hmm. sad? Am I anxious? Am I scared? Am I mad? Like what's going on here? And again, when we just identify those things, they tend to get less. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's like the first thing. And then, like I said, nature walks, meditation, breathing, um, hugging, hugging releases your oxytocin, which is a cuddle hormone, um, drinking a nice cup of tea, reading a book, listening to a podcast. But like I said, like fighting for your peace right now and figuring out what's going to make you feel calm. We talk about exercises as as an antidepressant a lot, which I think is true, Mm -hmm. but I also think that's more of like an active activity. Like we also have to balance it out with like the more restful, rejuvenating, peaceful, calm type of activity. I think those are really helpful for mental health things. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of those two things, like figuring out how to make your lifestyle one where that promotes a, a calm over you. So maybe not drinking a ton of caffeine if you're really anxious. Um, you know, maybe working on your sleep, making sure that you are getting enough sleep because that also makes anxiety a lot worse, making sure that you're moving your body every day, making sure that you are journaling or processing emotions somehow. I think all those things are really important in getting our nervous system more calm because that's really the goal here is to calm down your nervous system. Right, right. Yeah. And I love some of those health practices. I mean, outside of just being aware, is there anything that you recommend when someone's feeling the anxiety come on, like a question they can ask themselves, like a way to interrupt that thought? Is there something that you found to work to kind of interrupt that moment and transition it before it gets out of hand? Yeah. So again, I think a couple things. So I think telling yourself, like when you feel the biology of anxiety, so the heart palpitations, the clammy skin, the dizziness, mm-hmm. the stomach stuff, the biology, the physical symptoms of anxiety, I think just recognizing and, and telling yourself like, okay, this is just anxiety. We're okay. And looking around and reminding yourself that you're safe is really helpful. And then I also think like thinking about what you're telling yourself, like where where are the, where are your thoughts at? What are you telling yourself with this? And I think just kind of interjecting with them. And I give the example a lot of think about like when you're sitting across talking from with somebody that's telling you lies or exaggerating. Like mm-hmm. you know that you're very aware that they're not true, and you're just most of us sit there and we're like, okay, yeah, and we don't really say much, or maybe we say like a little bit, and we're like, yeah, that's not true, but we don't like buy into it. We don't like internalize it. We're just sitting there, like kind of blankly staring at them. Right. You can do that with your own thoughts too. You can realize that these things are not based on reality. They're not necessarily accurate. They're not true. They're imaginative. Um, and decide not to buy into those too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a conscious decision. I know it feels like it's not. And sometimes it happens so quickly when you're in the midst of anxiety that doesn't feel like a decision, but you can interject that way and say, no, this is not true. I'm going to stay right here in my present moment because remember anxiety is about the future and remind yourself that you're okay in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So in this time of quarantine and isolation, and I feel like we're missing a lot of really critical components to human nature and health, that being relationships. Yeah. 
But at the same time, I feel like there's a level of, we think we're communicating, relating, and we're not. Like, how do people, how do people navigate anxiety and sharing that and opening up about it and being vulnerable in that um, with other people that they love? Like talking about their own anxiety? Yeah. Like, do you think that's good? Or do you think you have to be very careful with that? No, I do think, I do think finding support is good. The one thing that I caution my anxiety patients about is that I think I'm a backpedal here. I think getting support from somebody that you trust, your partner, your parents, your best friend that you know will support you is, is a good thing to do. I think that that's amazing and everyone needs that support in some capacity. But I also think for a lot of anxious people, they seek reassurance too. Mm. And reassurance for anxiety people can feel, can be like a drug. So for instance, if you're seeking reassurance about your anxiety, even you're like, I'm having anxiety. Am I going to be okay? Like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Somebody, your person tells you like, yes, you're going to be okay. This is just anxiety. You're fine. We're safe. All that stuff. And then you're like, okay. And then you know, that sometimes helps in the beginning to kind of calm you down, but eventually you need more of it and it's less, um, you believe it less. Mm. Like for instance, if you've talked to somebody who's having a panic attack, they'll ask you over and over and over if they're okay or about whatever they're scared about. Mm -hmm. Like it's just not sinking in anymore and they need more and more and more. So for anxious people who feel like they're constantly seeking reassurance, that's, that shows up as a lack of confidence in yourself and a lack of trust in yourself. And so I think that's something that I work with my patients on a lot is like, okay, let's not ask for reassurance. Let's be able to comfort ourselves and reassure ourselves here. We don't need that from an external person. Yeah, because yeah, totally. Because reassurance never helps, you know, like it it might take the initial sting off, but I think in the long term, it never satisfies what we hope it will. So with that being said, like, I think this is a really great time to start building trust with ourselves. Like there's no better time than in the midst of something hard to work on it and figure this out. You know, like these are critical moments. And I think the easy answer has been like, give yourself space. Don't worry about anything, which I, I feel like there's a level of that of grace that we need to offer ourselves, but there's also a level of like, Hey, we're going to get stronger here. And this is the best time to start figuring things out because when life gets better or normal or easier or whatever is going to be on the other side of this, yeah. that will come. Yeah. Then this becomes something that we just do. Like it's a part of us. Right. But how do we, I, I think, the real answer in so many of this is that we just don't trust ourselves anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think we're people who are constantly putting our trust in someone else, um, putting our trust in another diet, putting our trust in um, a million other things, but ourselves, right. We're so distracted that we can't even see ourselves to even begin to trust ourselves. So what are some steps that someone could take to be like, okay, there's probably not a solution other than myself at this moment or anytime, right? Like we can get help and all these things, but really we have to come to a place of wanting to believe and trust in ourselves. How do we do that? So one of the things that has, that really helped me a while ago with this was actually writing a letter to myself for my own perseverance. Because mm. I think a lot of us feel we have like this level that we feel inadequate or we feel not good enough or, you know, various other stories that we've told ourselves for the the past several, even decades. And so I think when you write a letter from yourself that from your perseverance 
and talk about all the hard things that you've been through, that you've made it through, that makes you look at yourself in a different light of like, okay, yeah, I am actually strong. I am actually smart. I actually am capable here. Um, versus when we are kind of in our own head, we just don't, most of us don't think of ourselves that way mm. Think of ourselves as needing an expert or needing reassurance or feeling weak or feeling like we don't have the answers, things like that. And of course there's times to seek expert help and things like that, obviously. But like you said, I mean, people don't trust themselves to eat anymore. They don't trust themselves to figure out how to exercise and move their bodies anymore. They don't figure, you know, Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things. Like we just don't trust ourselves, like you said. And I think that's a very good first step is to start realizing that you actually are smart. You are capable. You can do this. You have made it through hard things before and start building your confidence in yourself that way. Mm -hmm. And then I think it comes down to literally just practicing it. So like when you feel that desire to seek reassurance from somebody, even like asking your partner, like, do I look good in this outfit or am I fat or am I pretty? Like we constantly are doing that all the time. And when you feel like you need that reassurance or you need to ask somebody just deciding not to do it and being Mm -hmm. confident in what do I think I look like today? Like, do I think I look good or bad or whatever? And, um, being confident in that answer with ourselves. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of us. I think when we need reassurance and we don't, really satisfy that need, anxiety can get a little higher. Like, okay, I really, I really want this right now. Um, but working through that and just being like, Nope, I'm going to trust in my own self right now. Right. It's kind of deny, honestly, like denying that need for reassurance is, is how you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it built so much confidence. I mean, this is something that I've worked on over the last year and I've noticed just tremendous strides and not constantly looking for reassurance. Mm -hmm. And I was honestly alarmed by how many ways and places that I would seek reassurance. I would even Mm -hmm. um, go as far. And I think people would resonate with this as to say something that I maybe didn't even believe in that was negative just to get reassurance on the other side, right? At some point somewhere, I've learned that saying something negative about myself makes people automatically come back in and say something positive. Yeah. And so it's like this underlying way to not even just like adamantly ask for reassurance, but it's like taking it another step later to be like, oh, this is, you know, this is so bad, or I'm not good at this. Like saying, like putting yourself down in the process of seeking reassurance, because we know that people will always give it to us then they might miss it. If we just are trying to seek it at, on, I'm going to say a normal level, but a quiet level. Yeah. We get more of that, but it does. I mean, that makes the problems worse because then you start to believe the lies that you're telling yourself and the reassurance doesn't help that either. Right. It's like, yeah, like throwing two stones at yourself. Yep but there's a lot of confidence to be built and just not asking for reassurance. You know, I think, okay, let's just talk about confidence for a second. I feel like I'm going on a million different directions. We're going to bring this back into like, Mm -hmm. how do we prepare to go back into the workforce and to real life soon? But I think this is really important in all of this and anxiety and overcoming fear and just living true to yourself without all the panic and overwhelm. A lot of the steps to building confidence are internal things that no one actually sees happening, right? Like, I think we think they're like these outer appearances. It's like, if I get to a certain size of jeans or if I do all this stuff, then I'm going to be more confident. But confidence is really built by all these internal systems that no one can see. What are some ways that someone can build confidence? I mean, not asking for reassurance is one huge way. What are are some other things that you found? So 
to be honest with you, I, cause I had struggled with a lack of confidence, like a lot of, of, of my life for sure. I always wanted mm-hmm. reassurance and sought, you know, validation in non-healthy ways and things like that. And, you know, I started a personal development journey, maybe like four ish years ago. And that's a big thing in personal development work. And so I, this is going to be a really simple answer, but I don't have a lot of steps. It just is a decision that you have to make and you're going to fall back and feeling unconfident a hundred thousand times. And you're going to want that reassurance and you're going to question yourself, but it goes back to, again, writing that letter from yourself and viewing yourself as a strong, capable woman. And then just deciding that, you know what, no one else's opinion matters of me, only my own. If I feel true to myself and I feel like this is what I want to show the world of myself, then, then so be it. Like I, I always go back to Rachel Hollis's quote of no one else's opinion of me is my business. Hmm. And I think that that, that just resonated for me, um, in her book, girl, wash your face was just really helpful, um, for me in developing that confidence. And it was just like a decision to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They are a bunch of little decisions that we have to make constantly yep. every day in our minds. And, um, I think it gets easier in time as we do that, but we have to put the discipline in and the work knowing that it's not yep. an overnight fix. Um, but our brain is in- completely capable. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, it it goes back to those neural pathways of like, just, this is how we're going to behave now. Um, this is how we're going to respond to things. We're going to be confident now. And again, your brain will go back a hundred thousand times and be like, okay, you'll start questioning yourself or you'll start wondering and stuff. And it just is like, nope, this is my authentic self. This is what I'm, this is what I am. This is who I am, all that stuff. So transitioning a little bit, we're going to have to enter real life again, right? Like we're going to have to come out of our houses. We're going to have to go back to work. We're going to have to create a sense of normalcy again. And I think this is going to be a scary time because what that means is that we're going to go back into the world before this virus is gone, right? Like we're going to have to go back. We're going to have to go out and face those fears. What are some steps people can start taking to prepare themselves for the coming days and weeks and months, whenever this happens, no one knows, right? Whenever this happens, when we will face the world again. Yeah. So, I mean, I honestly don't really have those answers. I, I think, I think this is going to take a little bit of a toll on our mental health. I think there's going to be people who are just dying to get back in the real world and just, you know, take the expert's opinion. They're like, okay, cool. We're good. Um, and I think there's going to be other people who have some PTSD, to be honest, I think they're going to be really scared to go back into society. Um, and I think the way we do it, I think likely, and this is against my opinion, I think likely it'll be kind of in steps. I think it'll be a transition. I don't think the world just on like now we're down to April 30th as a country on May 1st, I don't think we're just going to open up as we were. I think there'll be like for instance, restaurants probably will open up again and we'll have like some people here kind of following some social distancing things and, um, less people involved type of transition. And I think eventually we'll get back to how we were. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really hard because generally speaking with anxiety, I tell people to push themselves a little bit with it, um, out of their comfort zone, because that makes our 
obviously our comfort zone bigger. But in this case, it's really weird because you do want to be safe. And so just telling somebody who feels really uncomfortable or maybe has a high risk person at home just to go out in public when they say, give us the green light, like maybe that's not the safest way to go. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, what's I'm interested. What's your opinion on it? Um, you know, I think everyone is going to go about it differently. I think again, I think for me, the fear that I see in a lot of people is trying to control the outcome. Still, right? Exactly. I think if we fixate on trying to control what is ultimately out of our control. Mm And I think maybe my lack of fear just comes from knowing the body in the way that I do and just understanding that we have so much capability to strengthen and build our body. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it can happen, but what's to say we can get in, get in a car and get in a car accident, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't know the outcome to any of this, but we can start to focus and put our attention on what can I do in the midst of this? What can I do to get my life back to seemingly normal? Granted, normal is never going to be normal again, right? It's always going to be a little bit different. Like people didn't come through the great depression and live normal lives, right? Like my grandma still saves grocery bags. (laughs) Like we are going to have differences because of this, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. But also at the same time, there is no success without risk. At some point we have to take the step. We have to come out because that is where we're really going to live life. I think being stuck in our fear, we are choosing to be stuck living a life that we weren't intended or purpose to. And I think it's not a life that we would want if we really could see the scope of this. Now I'm under the belief that this virus is going to infect everyone. I think most of us actually are probably immune. You know, they think about 50% right now are carriers that have immunity to this already. So our scope of this is relatively slim. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get into the debate about all of that, but I am saying like, there's a lot of other things out there that we never used to give the time of day yeah. to. I don't want this to be that thing that stops mm-hmm. people because I don't think it's worthy of that. I think we're giving power then to the virus to control our life as opposed to controlling the virus by living our lives and also taking care of ourselves because there's so much we can do. And living in panic and anxiety, we know inside the body that does nothing positive for our immune system, right? Like there is a level of like, I get it. We need to go at our own pace. We need to take the steps. Probably people after this will have PTSD. We need to see counselors. We need to help work through this because this wasn't just the only thing. Like this didn't trigger just straight up PTSD. There was under uh, other things right under the surface that had led to this point. If we're really living in panic and I think people need to get help for that. I love therapy. So I think everyone should go. I do too. I love it. But at the same time, like, I think that we have to learn as a part of confidence to start confronting some of this stuff um, and understanding what we can choose to control. Mm -hmm. Are we a nation who's so fixated on the things that we cannot control that we miss the things that we can? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think eventually I know because I work with a lot of uh, patients that have anxiety. And I think, you know, eventually I know I'll be telling people like, Hey, we got to start going out to dinner. We got to be comfortable going to the grocery store. I just don't know when that time is like when, but I definitely agree. Like we got to get back to this. And I think, you know, without going into a lot of debate, like there's so much scientific research being poured into this billions billions of dollars. Um, we're going to have answers, 
we've had yeah. answers to all, if you think about all the horrible diseases and things that we've been scared about, um, in our country or in the world over the last, you know, hundreds of years, like we've, we've gotten answers to all of them and, and they're all okay. So this will be okay too. Um, and there's, but again, there's a lot of different ways this could go. It could just fizzle out. It could be over, or we could have most of the population immune and have a vaccine, or we could have antibody testing, or we could find treatment. Like there's so many different ways this could go. Um, but the moral of the story is every single one of them will be okay. Yeah. 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 And I agree. Everyone's going to have to go at their own pace and their own speed. Some of us are going to have to have a little bit more encouragement, Mm -hmm. but there's always the people in the herd, right. That are going to take the risk. They're going to jump in. They're not going to think anything of it. And they're going to go in and test the waters, right. Because they don't have that level of fear that others do. And I think that we can see them and we can learn from them. And I think the more that we see other people Mm -hmm. do that and see that they're okay. I think that gives us more, hopefully comfort to do that. Like I always relate it to my kids. Like when I want my kids to try something new, they're never going to try it unless I try it first, right? Like they won't try the new food unless they see mom or dad eating it or both of us eating it and enjoying it. Right. They're they're skeptical and that's okay. Um, but I think it's good to encourage that to be like, see, it's not so bad. And so I think if you are anxious, like taking your own time and going at your own speed, Mm -hmm. but I think that there is a very fine line between going at your own speed because it's healthy and right. And, um, preventing yourself from actually moving past of that and letting your fear control you. I still believe we have to be in control of our fear and not let fear control us. Oh, I totally agree. And even in this situation, you know, it's, it's just such a weird situation because I, like I said, you know, I actually think probably like OCD behaviors, things like that will probably rise hopefully temporarily. Um, and people can kind of work through them. I fully think that that's probably what I'll be working on after this a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. I, I agree. I think, I think we constantly have to, you know, look at our fear and ask if it's rational, ask if it's not rational. Um, and you know, in this situation, like look at science, listen to the epidemiologists, listen to the experts on like what's safe and what's not. Um, and kind of, you know, I think that's gotta be our guideline. Yeah. Yeah. I really agree. And I think if we can see through this and we can see what past generations have done, right? This isn't the first pandemic that's hit America. Like I was talking to my grandma, she's in her late eighties. She lived through the polio pandemic, which was terrifying, right? Uh, We have so much more medical equipment and everything else, right? Just research that we can constantly pump out. And so she's on the other side and she's like, well, I lived through polio and you know, that was terrifying and scary, but we came out on the other side. Like she has been, it, walk through it and they've come out the other side. And generally speaking, historically speaking, there's always another side and the other side isn't as terrible as we make it out to be. Do think that we have, we're fear driven people and fear sells. And so we have to be careful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we can learn from that other generation that's lived through this stuff and learn from them and see, Hey, they came back out. They came back and chose to continuously live life. Um, and I think that we, we at some point are going to be faced with that same decision. I think so too. And I think, like you said, I I think life is still going to be full and fulfilled and, you know, so wonderful. And I, I think maybe little things will change, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think we, we will get back there a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. 
This has been so good. And I hope it's been encouraging to everyone who's been listening. We are living in uncertain times, but there are things that we can be sure of and that's taking care of ourselves and our mind. And Allie, I just thank you so much for being here. Just before we go, what's one last piece of encouragement that you want to give everyone as we leave, as we go out into um, or back into our homes, as we prepare for a new normal, whatever's ahead, what do you want to tell people? I think the biggest thing um, is to just stay present. I know I'm, you know, overwhelmed, panic, all those things are really uncertainty, really prominent emotions and thoughts right now. And I think if that's you, just literally one hour at a time, that's all we have to do. And the second thing, one little bonus, I guess, is um, don't compare yourself. Everybody's situation in this is different. So what one mom might be doing or one woman or one employee or whatever is not going to be the same as you. And I think, you know, let's eliminate the shame piece of this. Um, and you just do what your family needs, keep everyone healthy and safe and call it a day. Like it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Allie, this has been so good. I'm so grateful you came on and, uh, we were able to put the show together and, uh, just share some truth in the midst of chaos and hopefully some foundation to build confidence and trust in your own life that you can go out, you can take those next steps, can take care of yourself and we can get through this together. So Allie, thank you so much for being on. Tell us where we can learn more about you and what you do. Yeah. So, um, I have a website called AllieDameron.com. Um, I have a free Facebook group called holistic health with Allie Dameron. And I have a podcast called the Allie Dameron show. And then Instagram, of course, at my name, Allie Dameron. Yes. Allie, thank you so much for being here. I'll make sure and link all that up in the show notes. You're going to want to go follow her as she continues to provide truth in the season of uncertainty and encouragement as we go through this together. So Allie, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Man, I mean, we are living in some uncertain times, but I hope that podcast gave you some hope. It gave you some foundation to cling to, to recognize that one, anxiety in itself is not bad. It's the anxiety about the anxiety. It's the uncontrolled anxiety. It's the anxiety that we allow to run our lives. My friend, we have to take back control of this. We have to take control of our mind and we have to start putting the steps and implementing those things to allow us to live a brave life, an unafraid life to step out, especially after all of this uncertainty is over, when life slowly starts to get peace back into somewhat of a normal. I mean, it's never going to be the same as it was because no change as great as this ever leaves us unchanged. But we have to use that to our benefit and know that this isn't the end. Good times are coming. Better things are ahead. Yes, it might seem scary right now, and that's okay to feel that. Let yourself feel that, but don't let those feelings dictate who you are. Remember, over on the blog, I have left a series of posts and steps on how to use just 10 minutes of your day to stop the anxiety spiral. Inside this post, we kind of touched on how it only takes 10 minutes for your brain to build scaffolding to support that idea. And if we want to switch those, it takes just 10 minutes to build the scaffolding and support network for a positive thought. Just 10 minutes. So over on the blog, I give you specific steps on how to transform your mind in just 10 minutes. I promise, friends, it's not perfect. It's not going to take away all the pain, but it is helpful. And any little steps that we can do in the right direction are having an influential impact on our lives and the lives around us. 
I am believing great things are ahead. I am believing that there is great hope on the horizon. And I am believing that this time is going to make us not just stronger, but healthier as well. And as a part of that, I've been doing a 60-day accountability challenge over on Facebook. It's at my Facebook group at Simperitz Wellness. You can just follow me over there and join in on those videos. They're daily videos that give you some insight into how to eat healthy, how to take it back control of anxiety, to really just live the life we were purposed to. I would love to have you join. You can go back and watch all those videos. They're just saved on that Facebook page continuously, and there's still a lot of time left. Join me over on Facebook at Simperitz Wellness and stay tuned and up to date in that 60 day challenge. And don't forget to head to the blog and the show notes at SimperitzWellness.com backslash 213. You guys, you are doing this. I believe in you. I want you to believe in yourself and trust in yourself and ultimately trust that there's a God who is above all of this. He is not defined by our circumstances, but he defines them. He is not scared. He is not overwhelmed. He is not fearful right now. And in that, we can trust that we don't have to be either. I'm believing in you. I love you guys. And I will see you back here next week.